when things deflate, when you have that bad meeting, like the people who are leading in these circumstances need to not just be like, Tah you know, or give up or just be hurt. It's like, that's the time when like you step in and you give everybody a ring and you're like, how you doing, man? I actually think the capacity to allow your heart to be broken, to sit in that heartbreak and see it clearly, and then to kind of move even from that place of heartbreak or move away from that place of heartbreak for me feels like kind of anti-fragile. Fragility to me is like collapse and oh my gosh, I'm hurt. So I can't take one more step or I don't know what to do, like chaos and confusion in some ways. But when you talk about heartbreak in this way, it actually feels like uh, a core capacity to resiliency, a core capacity to seeing clearly. You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tim Merry. And I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. This week on Find the Outside, the podcast, we're digging in to a quote that I heard on another podcast. You work with what you've got, not what you hope for, right? And this actually I heard on a podcast from a fella called Scroobius Pip. And uh, and it was from, it was t- yeah, it's a, it's a, and a Tuesday. You can't see it, but Tuesday's shaking her head to me. But she, he's incredible. Scroobius Pip, the podcast, it's the, this, the Distractions podcast. And he was interviewing the director from the movie, The Hotel Artemis, which is out in cinemas right now. And uh, which sounds like an incredible movie, totally worth checking out. But the quote from the movie, which stuck with me, was you work with what you've got not with what you hope for. And I felt that like massively uh, resonated with a lot of how we think about and how we mm-hmm. do our work. And I sent it to you choose over email and you you gave a slightly melancholy, oh yeah, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> and off we go, <laughs> it right? Felt a little, it, felt, it just felt, I mean, I can feel the truth of that quote. Absolutely. There's just something about when you sent it to me, it just felt a little depressing. I was like, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Not what we hoped for. We just got to work with what we got. But there is, I mean, to be fair, I mean, that's how it landed in that particular moment. But in this particular moment, I can actually feel the freedom that that gives you, right? It's, it gives you, or I think when we're working, we have a lot of freedom to not kind of like say how things should be or how we wish they were, or to spend a whole lot of time there, but instead to actually look at how things are and then decide what we're going to do. So actually, I think it's quite liberating. It just happened to be the moment you sent me that email. I was like, wah, wah, that's not awesome. <laughs> but, but, but it is. It is. It's awesome. Hey, I've got, it's I've probably a mixture. I mean, I think it's a mixture, and I think that's the reality, you know? I mean, for me, I was just, you know, I was just thinking about like, the levels of scale this has played out in my life. Like 20 years ago when I was first getting into facilitation, you know, this was like, oh, the 90-minute session didn't go to plan, and I had to throw my plan out the window and completely redesign it 45 mm. minutes in because stuff happened that I couldn't predict. And now it's like yeah. in this five-year project, a massive, massive <laughs> yeah. political side swing has come in we've just lost two and a half years of work and all of those stakeholders who were at the table are now bickering with each other right so it's so it's (laughs) it's like i feel like it's been a practice that uh, we've been kind of a muscle and a practice we've been developing and building over 20 years of doing this work from actually starting quite small scale in terms of how do we really do participatory work how do we lead for change in a change in a participatory way to now where we're you know working on these very large scale highly complex multi-stakeholder initiatives and it's the same thing happening you know and i think also you know you and i are quite hopeful people you know like like equity you know we have a desire for equity in the world you know we have a desire for a society that serves all and we're explicit about that in our work and we're always working towards that and we're constantly calling that future into the room every time we get people together you know and so i think 
I think the hope for a future coexists with the reality of that future being yeah. dashed against the rocks again and again and again, right? Yeah. That's right. I think that's exactly, exactly right. And I was thinking as you were talking about kind of moving from, oh, I had to change this design in a short meeting to, oh my gosh, two years of work has been sideswiped. I was thinking that this is probably, uh, for me, a, a pretty big shift coming from the world of activism right? Where Mm. you actually are always working for what you hoped for, right? Like it's not, you know, in some ways, like today, what you've got is untenable. And so you have to, you know, you kind of have to work for what you're hoping for. And so, uh, or that's kind of a a mindset, at least I had in that particular world. And this, again, feels like a a little subtler, because I could even say like, now I could still do that same kind of activism and work with what I have not what I hoped for. Right. But I think it was a shift for me to be present in the current reality and move from that place and not just the future that I hoped for and like struggle and strive and push to get to that particular future. Right. Because when that future doesn't come, right. You're not left with a whole lot, right? Like if you haven't kind of worked with what is. And so I don't want to say that I never worked with what is or anything like that. I think there was a lot of working with what is. But this to me feels like it was a a pretty significant shift in my own practice to actually look at reality and accept it in the way of this is a starting place. Um, not in an acceptance, an acceptance of like, oh, okay, racism is what it is and that's fine. It's not that no, kind of right. acceptance. No, no, no. But right. it's, it's, it's not, like, yeah, right. yeah, it's like seeing what is, trying to see it clearly and then moving from that place. And so there's, I think that this was a, probably a pretty significant shift for me in my own kind of hosting and facilitation work. And like you said, now... I don't, it's like, it ain't no thing to kind of move a particular meeting, you know, or move a question or change a design in the middle of like that kind of, he's like, okay, that's cool. But these bigger issues that we're dealing with, like, oh, we thought we were going to start eight pilots this fall. And now, you know, the project's been postponed or we get to start one pilot, for example, or, um, you know, we thought we were actually going to run a whole cohort and now we're going to be advisors. Like, I think what we're being called to now is like bigger work. And so this kind of like working with what is versus what you hoped for can sometimes feel miles away from each other. And that's just the reality. Do you know what? Like, I'm just, uh, I'm thinking about this and and just like see how this lands for you. Cause uh, I think this is actually about the capacity to deal with heartbreak Ah. and uh, Ah. you know, and I I, I really do. And I think it's, I think it's the same thing as looking at the news. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same thing as like, I mean, you know, I don't feel like I'm a man who lives without hope. I don't feel like I'm a person mm. who lives without hope. I feel like every room I walk into, I bring hope. Every yeah. room, I hope that what we bring is this sense that we can do this, people. Oh, yeah. Like this may feel insurmountable, impossible, untenable. Yeah. Right. And like, but and I hope what we bring every single time we turn up is we can do this. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I feel like I feel like a lot of the capacity that we have been building in ourselves and and our relationship and our friendship has given us and then the work also develops in other people is the ability to recover from heartbreak quite quickly again and again and again and again and again i mean there's that quote um from someone uh 
you know, the, the like, like something like, I and mean, this is like, you know, I don't know who it is and I'm obviously quoting it incorrectly. <laughs> so there we go. Apologies to the gods of quotes and all of that. Well, we'll put it in the show notes. If we actually find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Right, right, right. It's like, like, it's, it, it, and it's something like, you, you know, you know, innovation is the ability to, f- is to ability to fail again and again and again and again and again, but remain enthusiastic you know mm. but it's, it's something along those lines and uh, and i think mm. that's uh, and i think that's a you know i think this i think it is i think there's something at the root of the scale and audacity of the work we're attempting to achieve here a society that serves all whose fundamental directionality is towards equity right that's what we that's what we turn up to work for every single day yeah. and the inevitability of that is every single day is packed with heartbreak you know yeah and packed with enthusiasm and packed with good humor and packed with this sense of like, we can do this. I love that. I love that because it's not only the capacity to bounce back from heartbreak and it's not only the capacity to work within heartbreak, but it's actually the capacity to allow heartbreak to happen again and again. Right. We just had a group that we were working with, multi-stakeholder group again. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, right on the verge of negotiating something really significant, you know, mm-hmm. with, a, you know, potential, uh, you know, legislative impacts as well as impacts within their local communities and areas and massive impacts on the lives of the individuals, you know. And it had gone really well, you know. And then one session didn't go that well you know, Mm -hmm. and you could feel the room just kind of like deflate as a result of one bad session, you know, and like, and, uh, and there's a piece of me that just constantly, just, uh, I kept wanting to be like, Hey, Hey, like one bad session, like, come on people. (laughs) Like this is, this is when you turn up. This is when you like, you like lean in. Like, I'm not saying it's all going to work out, but you don't like, deflate when like one bad meeting happens you know like of course you know and like and i know the stakes are high and i know that like we're on the edge of an opportunity that felt impossible three weeks just three weeks ago it felt impossible you know and like and so there's there's something about i know and we're going back to this topic of fragility again aren't we right that we were in in the other that we were in in the other topic but but not between us but in terms of like how people lead change in the world like but that but that like hey no when when things deflate when you have that bad meeting like the people who are leading in these circumstances need not need to not just be like you know or give up or just be hurt it's like that's the time when like you step in and you give everybody a ring and you're like, how you doing, man? You know, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Um, see where I'm going? Yeah, you're t- you're absolutely making sense to me. And part of what I want to say, it's really interesting because this issue of fragility came up in the last one. I actually think the capacity to allow your heart to be broken, to sit in that heartbreak and see it clearly, and then to kind of move even from that place of heartbreak or move away from that place of heartbreak, for me, feels like kind of anti-fragile, right? Even though it seems yeah. like... <clears throat> But fragility to me is like collapse and oh my gosh, I'm hurt. So I can't take one more step or I don't know what to do, like chaos and confusion in some ways. But when you talk about heartbreak in this way, it actually feels like uh, a core capacity to resiliency, a core capacity to totally. see clearly, right? Like it's actually like a really, it's like an anti-fragile piece. Um, and I think that we can help people be prepared for it. And I think, you know, like if you think about, you know, that just that exact topic that you were talking those folks have been in active conflict conflict for a couple of years, right? 
and and then probably over like sixty, over sixty generations, years. generational right? conflict, generations, yeah, right. And so to have one bad meeting, like no, we're tougher than that. Yeah, yeah. one bad that, meeting makes you feel yeah. better. We're tougher than that. Yeah, and so there is something about, and I think you began to talk about it last time. Like if we're actually going to do something different, right? Gonna make mistakes, gonna mess up. There is going to be ways we hurt each other and ways we break our hearts and each other's hearts. And there's something about like, and and we still have to do it. It like it feels expectable. It feels like we should yeah. know it. Yeah. And, and like, what is it about the ability to stay in over sixty years of dysfunction or four hundred years of dysfunction? You know, but when things actually start working, you know, right? For like. For, mm-hmm. for for right. for one significant knockback to suddenly the whole thing to lose its mm. jet fuel. Like, what is that? Like, you know, like it's like when I, when I started the drop-in center in, um, I was really yeah. young and we started this drop-in center in the Netherlands. Um, and it was in a, it's in the community I lived in. And actually I didn't even mm-hmm. go to the community meeting. My mate Matthias turned up at the community meeting and they were all talking about the trouble with the kids in the community, et cetera, et cetera. And my friend Matthias was like, oh, Tim works with young people. He'll open a youth center. <laughs> oh my. And then he tells me the next morning of a breakfast. Oh, by the way. Yeah. And anyway, so I ended up starting, ended up starting this drop-in center with this fantastic Suriname's uh, friend of mine, uh, Mike and uh, Mike Brown. And, and so we opened this uh, youth center and essentially what we're trying to do is just create a safe space for the kids in the community yeah. to go and, and, and all of that. And, um, and, and and like both Mike and I, we weren't very experienced, uh, we, you know, and we, we were just doing our best. And um, and what both of us really noticed was that the was that the the kids' tendency was to take the circumstance again and again and again to unsafety, right? Mm. Because actually, and our analysis at the time, and just to feed this into our conversation here, the, our analysis at the time was that was actually they have far better and more developed coping skills for like unsafe circumstances mm-hmm. and chaotic circumstances than they do yeah. for circumstances that feel more safe and feel more solid and right. feel more dependable, you know? And so like, and so like everything's going great. And then suddenly there's like two kids thrown onto the ping pong table and it completely collapses. And right. And, and, and we were just like, well, what? So there's a pattern here of like, of like, you know, 60 years of dysfunction is actually more comfortable. Yeah. Right. Than than getting on together and figuring it out because the patterns of dysfunction, even though we've acknowledged them as painful, um, uh, are, are easier to be in than something new. Right. And that rising to something. That's new. right. It's like, we know how to do that. Right. It might be, it's kind of like the enemy, you know, or the pain, you know, is better than that, that you don't know. It reminds me of like, have you ever, um, had your like body in a position, maybe you're slept now that I'm 40, this happens when I sleep, right? My body's been in a position oh, yeah. for a long time. Oh, yeah. And like to actually yeah. move out of that position, even though it's not doing my body any good actually causes pain. Right. Like I have this, I have this, I have exactly this. I sleep on my front with my leg out and I can't do it anymore. It's like the most comfortable position for me to sleep mm-hmm. in and I can't do it. And I, like, I've slept like that for, I don't know, probably, probably 40 years. <laughs> right. And now I can't sleep that way. Heart. I mean, that is, I mean, that is a heartbreak I haven't recovered from. <laughs> yeah. I was saying, and there's still, now I have to sleep on my, now I have to sleep on my side with a pillow between my legs. So my hips don't turn too much. I mean, really, that's what it's I mean, it's to. a little, what's the word when one lacks self-respect, but I mean, I, you know, but, I, but, 
But actually, like, that's exactly it, right? Because you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. in your heart, you still long to sleep on your belly, right? Even though you know it's totally. not good for you, right? You're just like, I yeah, wish I could do, I do that. And so I think it's kind of like, you know, it's like a muscle's been in a position for a certain amount of time. And then when it's required to move like that, it causes all sorts of pain, right? And it's just mm. like, and you just got to work through it. But I think uh, we almost always choose the pain we know, or I don't think, you know, we even sometimes think about that as pain, right? In some ways, it's just what we know. So this is by Parker Palmer. Heartbreak is a part of life no one can avoid, but I have choices to make about how my heart breaks. Will it break apart into a thousand shards and perhaps be thrown like a fragment grenade at the ostensible source of my pain? Or will it break open into greater capacity to hold my own and the world's suffering and joy? If I shut my heart down and allow it to get brittle, heartbreak will shatter it, injuring me and those around me. But if I keep my heart supple by exercising it, allowing my suffering and the suffering around me to stretch that spiritual muscle, heartbreak will open my heart, bringing me more peace and adding to the world's vital store of compassion. Yeah, there is something about the practice of being able to be in heartbreak but not wallow in it mm-hmm. that that's essential in terms of, you know, because we'll often talk about the ability to be uncomfortable, yeah. right? We'll often talk about the ability to stay in uncertainty without rushing to answers. We'll often talk about the capacity to take a detour to discover something mm-hmm. new rather than going problem fix it. I mean, these are things. But I don't think it's often that we talk about the capacity to be in heartbreak yeah. as an essential ingredient in it. the leadership of our times, do we? Yeah. You know, I love this, Tim. I'm so glad we're going here this evening. Because I I like what this quote says about almost ch- ch- uh, choosing how it will break. Will it splinter? And could that, you know, those, those mm. deep shards cut other people and hurt other people? Or will it kind of like soft, almost like a ripe fruit soften open, right? Um, and split mm. that way. And that way of heartbreak is, those are two really different things. And I think we're so afraid of the mm. shattering or splintering you know, that we protect even against the fruit ripening, opening. Um, That feels really profound to me, that this idea of heartbreak, this idea of softness, this idea of more open, that it actually, heartbreak can make us, can can bring us more, um, is pretty radical and pretty, pretty revolutionary. I think, you know, I I just heard today again, somebody said, you know, guard your heart. And my thought Mm. was like, whoa, that is exactly what I'm trying not to do these days. Like, right. uh, I've, actually, mean, I... I've actually spent a really long part of my life guarding my heart. And that right. seems to be one of the fundamental issues to knowing myself and feeling happy. Right. <laughs> right. In fact, I had to guard my heart to protect myself, but now yeah. maybe I don't, you know? Right. Mm. Really appreciative of this. All right. A, I got, well, I got two things kind of like popping around. So one is uh-huh. like that idea that like, um, you know, heartbreak can manifest as fury mm-hmm. as much as it can manifest as openness, right? Yeah. As much as it can manifest as learning, <laughs> right? Which yep. I think is that kind of like what you were pointing at with the shattering mm-hmm. that en- ends up cutting other people, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, it's not difficult for me to look into circumstances in my f- in my own past, let alone circumstances in the world and feel like the injustice of them and anger at the, the, those circumstances took place. You know, it's not hard oh, to yeah. do. Like, like it's not just turn on the TV 
-hmm. you know, this, you know, and so I can, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, I can feel both in me. Like I can, I can, I can feel how heartbreak manifests as as Mm -hmm. anger and fury. And I can feel how it manifests as uh, a kindness and openness. You know, my mate, Luke Concanon, the musician he was with Niz Lopit, he was, we used to do a lot of community music work together before we became famous. We couldn't even go down the pub for a while because everybody, we wanted to sing his song and stuff. Anyway, so he always, he always said to me, he's like, you know, it's very important we go and watch sad movies because like they just, they just keep cracking our hearts open, you know? And he's like, I like to go see at least one sad movie a month. Oh and I know that, I do. but there's just, but there is, it's like, what's the practice of like, what's the practice of that? Right. So, oh, oh my. So, um, one, one of my, uh, kind of first things I thought, as you said, that is like, you know, absolutely. I mean, there is, I mean, there is righteous anger. Right. And I think that right. often can come from heartbreak. I mean, I think that that's like a real thing. I think that it's yeah. motivated people to do things that are beyond, um, and on behalf of others in ways uh, that are that have shifted the world, shifted movements, right. um, or created movements, and and there's something uh, there's something about uh, that chattering or brittle heartbreak that yes, it might it might be a sword that cuts other things that need to be cut, but it also cuts you, right? Mm. I mean, there's no yeah. kind of way to have one or the, oh, you know, that's like the one without the that's other. It. Yeah. That's it. And, um, so the softness, I mean, and again, look, I'm not, we're not judging people and telling them the right or wrong ways to have your heart broken. Right. But there's something about like, uh, (laughs) there's something about the softness and what it allows. And I think, and just because of all that's in the air, uh, with you and I talking about, um, I think to myself, when you said that about Luke, who I think is a dear wonderful person and we need to watch sad Mm. movies. I just thought, Oh, what a privileged life that you have to go watch a sad movie to get a heartbreak. Like I was just like, (laughs) Holy Molly. Like that's, you know, like, yeah, actually got plenty of memories. Yeah, exactly. And I don't like, look, I'm really glad. I hope my children have to go watch sad movies to get heartbroken. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, but I did have this moment of like, who gets that life that you have to watch sad movies. But you know, again, white, white middle-class people from, West Midlands in England, um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually completely agree with that. I mean, that's like there's certain, there's certain, there's just certain shows I don't want to watch because they're too mm-hmm. close to my reality. Like I don't need mm-hmm. to watch that. I don't need to watch a show about that because like, yeah, actually that's what happens when I pick up the phone and talk to my family or when I, yeah, or right. like I reflect <laughs> upon certain things in my life or like I think about how that's impacted different people who I love and care about. So, um, so I, I hear you on that front, but his basic impetus, right, of like, yeah. you know, what are the practices we have practices we have that enable us, yeah, right, to enter our sadness and 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 not run away from it or our heartbreak or even our fury? Because I feel like yeah. if we're hosting, if I'm hosting a session, you know, and something comes out of the blue, like it did three months ago when we're less than that, probably when we were sitting in a room and suddenly the whole project is pulled out from underneath us and the team we've been <sighs> working with for 18 months. That's right. Right. That's right. And like, you know, I'm simultaneously feeling like, angry at not being informed, incredibly sad at me at something I really care about being undermined, um, really confused as to how this took place. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all mm-hmm. of these emotions swirl through you, you know, and yeah, then, that's right. but then you just have to like, it, it, um, 
and I don't try this on, right? But mm-hmm. I, I feel like I actually pick the ones that are going to help me out in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like, there's actually a piece of choice. There's an ability of like, okay, all of this is flowing through me. Which one do I need right now? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Am I going to pick fury? Is that going to help? Am I going to pick like total sadness and weeping? Is that going to help? Am I going to pick, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like there's mm-hmm. like um, in, in the, in the, smorgasbord of emotions that happen, right? Can I host myself in the midst of that, right? And look at that and like allow the one to surface that is going to best serve the room and still be authentic to who I am, you know? And I, and I feel like that's a lot of the work. And so maybe it is about, you know, heartbreak and recovery you know, but maybe there's also something in this, which is about a capacity to choose how you manifest your heartbreak. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Um, that is part of what we're talking about when we're talking about moving towards greater equity and moving towards a society that serves all. How do, how do I, how do I work with my own heartbreak and the heartbreak of others around me? And how do I enable our, uh, that to be a, a, something that we're choosing? Yeah. It's how, how do I enable? And it's like, how do we just allow, there's something for me around just allowing, um, folks to, when we're working on some of these deep issues, right. So if we're working in child poverty in Malmo or some of these really deep issues, like where's the space given for heartbreak, Mm. not to, not to kind of like stay there, but to allow it and maybe move from a soft heart right? Or maybe move from a brittle heart or wherever we're moving. But there's something for me around, I wonder how much, this makes me wonder how much space we're giving for heartbreak. Again, not for it to take over. Um, But if, if the whole idea is working with what you got, not what you hope for, a lot of times what we got is a broken heart. Boom. I love that. That's right. So. Or a bunch of them. A bunch of them. And I, I suspect we are. And I'm not talking to him. I mean, we've talked about it and I'm not sure if we've done this on the podcast yet. I mean, we have talked about like where we, our particular work is not necessarily to create healing spaces, right? No, no, that that's our, not what our, we do. You know, like our work is to get action in the world and get that done. Um, and healing could be a byproduct and hopefully it will be and it'll be a good one. Uh, but, but even with our focus on action, right? The action is going to be better if we can allow the heartbreak, yeah. right? It's yeah. going to be it makes me lot. think about this project I was just talking about where like, you know, we had the crappy session where like if everyone felt kind of deflated afterwards and, and, um, and actually rather than rushing in and being like, all right, everybody, come on, hands back on deck. Let's do this. You know, come on, just don't give yeah. up now just because it got difficult. Maybe actually what's needed there is an opportunity to sink in and, and to talk through, well, what, what would the loss of this really mean? Yeah. Right. What's the risk here? What's the risk if we let this go? You know, and that is something we do sometimes. I mean, I hadn't thought about it in that circumstance, but, but like we do talk to people about what's the, what's the risk involved here of not doing it? What's the risk of staying with the status quo? What makes this worthwhile? What is the grief of the way things are, (laughs) right? Which is probably what got us in the room, you know, versus the grief of letting go of the way things could be. I mean, we often do that. Like, well, what, what's the, what's the risk here folks, right? Yeah. I mean, I think what's the risk here. I mean, like that, that feels like it gets us 
um, forward movement, like can continue to work, move forward. But also I think if I'm remembering that meeting correctly, we just kind of like sat for a moment of like, whoa, like what do people think about this? Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, didn't just kind Mm -hmm. of like go right into fix it or even action, but like, how are people feeling? And people were kind of, uh, lots of places, right. Lots of different places and lots of different understandings. And so, yeah, for sure. This kind of like, how are we doing? Let's acknowledge if there is heartbreak, if there is fury, if there is fear, all those things. And then, and then some not raw, raw, let's do it anyway, but like, let's actually talk realistically about what the risks are of not doing it or doing it again. This goes right with like staying with what is not what we hope for. And I feel like Tim, we've gotten a lot of that recently, a lot of like, oh, we thought this project, we've been working for three or four months and we thought this is how it was going to go. Or we've been working for 18 months and we thought this is how it was going to go. Or we're working for a year and this is how we thought it was going to go. And then something changes, right? And and I think there's always a choice point there of, oh my gosh, we've made these plans. We've built these relationships. It hasn't gone like we want. And it does feel like there's a choice point. And I think in past projects, I might've felt like that choice point was fragile. We're either going to fall apart or we're going to pull ourselves together and do something. Yeah, And I don't feel like, and I'm thinking about three of our projects in particular, that choice point has felt especially yeah. fragile. It feels like in some ways there was never an option. We were going to go forward. It was just a matter of how based on this new information, yeah. right? So, um, yeah. and the group, you know, might've had moments of like, ah, oh, what does this mean now? But there wasn't a falling apart or fragility, right? It was like, no. a, okay, let's meet this particular moment. And we might have to kind of gird ourselves, but we're going to meet this moment. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, the rea- and, and, and it's like, there's absolutely no point sitting around complaining about how dysfunctional the system is <laughs> and how broken it is and how the different parts don't work together and how the communications should be better or blah, blah, blah. I mean, all these millions of things or how there's 60 years of uh, uh, adversarial relationship or 75 years of reports that tell us we should be doing things. It's kind of like, all right. We've all got the analysis yeah. on the circumstance. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we don't need to be told our education systems aren't working. We right. don't need to be told our immigration systems aren't working, our healthcare systems, our justice systems. Like we've all got the data we need, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so I think it is something about like, okay, well, like complaining about the way it is doesn't do anything, you know? Like it's like, how are we going to rise to that? How are we going to respond to that? And how are we going to respond to that together? Uh, I think that's the kind of rallying kind that we pretty constantly find ourselves in. And and if you are willing to carry an opinion about how it should be better or how it should be different, then um, here's an opportunity to do something yeah. about that. And I feel like with the outside, we're constantly creating containers where people can move from having an opinion, right, or having a passion about something to taking responsibility for that and doing that and doing that in relationship to others who also want to see change, even if you don't particularly like or agree with them, Mm -hmm. there's actually some kind of like shared magnetic pull in the middle of like, all right, you want to see change too? Okay, let's figure this thing out then, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so I think, I think that is a big, that's a big, that's a big piece of it, you know, and everybody has to lean in and work with what they've got, not what they've hoped for. Right. It doesn't matter whether you're coming from the industry or whether you're coming from civil society or faith groups or the government or community leaders or small entrepreneurs or whatever it might be. Like it's not like it's not like any of us are getting exactly what we hope for. <laughs> That's right. Right? Yeah. You know, you know, and, and it's not like and but we're all having to deal with the reality of the circumstance we're in and then figure it out in relationship mm-hmm. to everybody else. 
I think that's right. What do you got? Yeah. All right, I'll do the poem. And then and the last time we did it where you read a poem and I threw a song in while you were looking for the poem. Do you want to throw a song in while I dig up this poem? I you got like one on your fingertips. I will. So there is a song that we both enjoy uh, called Lemon. And it's a, it's a nice collaboration between Nerd and Rihanna. There is something about that song that just makes me want to move my body. No matter like the day or how sad I am or how angry I am, that song will get my body moving. So Lemon by Nerd and Rihanna. We'll have it on the Spotify playlist. I'm realizing both of the songs we've recommended on the last podcast have been explicit, but that's all right, you know. We can handle it. That's who we listen to. All right. So this is a poem by uh, John Caldwell. And uh, my mum and dad gave me this book of poetry because I've always loved poetry when I was younger called The Bee's Knees. And it's a collection of different poets. It's a very short poem. It's called The Repairman. He said that he had patched it as best he could, but he warned, eventually the whole lot would have to come down. He tucked his ladder under his arm and pressed into my hand a splintered shard of sky. That's a nice one. Thank you for that. And thank you for coming to join us this time again. We'll be here every other Tuesday is when we're releasing podcasts. So thanks for joining us. And please share with your friends about this podcast. You can find us on iTunes um, or Apple Podcasts and uh, any of your podcast apps for sure. Find the outside the podcast. We hope you'll like us. We hope you'll share this. Uh, and we look forward to next time. Yep, and don't forget you can also find us on the on the uh, the outside website, findtheoutside.com backslash podcast. Go check us out there. And of course, massive thanks to Mark Coffin, our indomitable producer, and to uh, Gary Blakemore for his uh, music in the opening and, and closings of the podcast and the kind of any any of the kind of uh, intermediary musical happenings. That's all down to his genius. So uh, much gratitude for the team who helps us make this happen. Right on. Catch you later.